0: Well, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure who you people are or how I got here, so forgive me if I seem a little bit confused or off. You see, I went to sleep in Egypt in my palace, and I woke up here, and I've never been here before, and as crazy as it sounds, based on what I'm seeing, I'm starting to think that I somehow traveled to the future. I have no idea how, but that's what I'm thinking. But since I'm here, I guess I should introduce myself. I don't want to be rude. My name is Joseph. I'm 108 years old now. And to be honest, I don't really expect to live a whole lot longer. But before I go, and since you all seem so eager to listen, I'd like to take just a few minutes of your time to tell you a little bit about my life. Now, you may have already heard some things about me these books that you all carry around actually have my life story written down in them, which apparently means I'm only going to live about two more years. So you may already know from reading this book that my family was unconventional, to say the least. My dad, Jacob, had a reputation for being a trickster. He made lots of enemies along the way and got himself into all kinds of ridiculous predicaments throughout his life. But I have to say that our God... Has been good to him. He eventually married my aunt Leah and then my mom Rachel, and boy, was that an awkward situation. I've got 11 brothers and one sister from four different women. Now, as chaotic as that all sounds, my childhood was actually more quiet than you might think. Once my dad reconciled with our uncle Esau, things actually seemed to settle down a little bit. That was until I became a teenager, because when I was 17 years old, my brothers sold me into slavery. They'll tell you they did that because I was a tattletale and full of myself, but really I think they were just jealous of me. I had big dreams that I believed came from God himself, dreams about me ascending to power and my family all looking up to me and all bowing down before me. But then on top of that, I think they were jealous because our dad loved me more than any of them. He even gave me a beautiful coat to wear to show that off, and I wore that coat with pride. I mean, it would have been rude not to, right? But one day, my brothers got me out on a field. They jumped me. They ripped off my coat and threw me in an empty well. And then after a little bit of time had passed, they lifted me back up out of that well, and sold me to foreigners. Now, it is true that my oldest brother, Reuben, wasn't there for all of this, but trust me, he had plenty of his own sins. Now, could I have been nicer to my brothers? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have talked about my dreams so much. I still believe that those dreams really were from God but could I have been a little less obnoxious about them? Sure. But even if that's true, there's no way that I deserve to be betrayed the way I was. I did not deserve to be sold into slavery. But that's what happened. So eventually I ended up serving in the home of a guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a good master for the most part. He treated me fairly, and over time, he gave me more and more responsibility and more and more freedom. He did that because, and I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this, but everything I touched turned into gold. He trusted me. I did my work well, and his house flourished under my watch like it never had before. But then just when I thought everything was going well, Just when I thought I could salvage a pretty good life for myself, after all, Potiphar's wife falsely accused me of rape. And Potiphar believed the lie. Everything I worked so hard to build came crashing down around me. Now, from there, I went to prison. And it wasn't just any prison, it was the prison where the enemies of Pharaoh himself were kept. And just like at Potiphar's house, I did everything right. I ended up in charge of all my fellow prisoners, but two in particular. One day, Pharaoh's personal baker and chief cupbearer ended up in prison. I got to know these guys a little bit. They had dreams, and I interpreted their dreams. I correctly predicted that the baker would be executed, poor guy, And the chief cupbearer would return to Pharaoh's side. And when that chief cupbearer left, I asked him to do me a favor. Just one little favor. Put in a good word for me with Pharaoh. You see, that chief cupbearer was my one ticket out of prison. And so all I asked him to do was remember me. Just please don't forget about me. But he must have forgotten me. Because I continued to sit in that prison for two more years. You know, those two years were the darkest years of my life. By then I was in my late 20s, and I was wondering if I'd ever even make it to 30. However, through it all, I believed that God was still with me. I mentioned how everything I touched in Potiphar's house turned to gold. And how basically the exact same thing happened in prison. Well, I started to see that I really didn't deserve the credit for all that success. Did I work hard? Sure. Did I keep my nose clean? Yes. Did I strive to be faithful and obedient to God? Of course I did. However, over time, I became convinced that all of my success, and the fact that I was even still alive was all thanks to God. He was with me every single step of the way, even though I could never seem to catch a break. Now, at times, I got frustrated, and occasionally, I wondered if God had forgotten about me the same way that chief cupbearer did. But then things turned around for me in a big way, and it was through a course of events that only God could have orchestrated. Now, yet again, it all started with a dream, But this time, they weren't my dreams. They weren't the dreams of a prisoner. They were Pharaoh's dreams. And he must have been really spooked over these dreams because I heard that he tried everything to find out what they meant. None of his magicians, none of his priests could figure out what the dreams meant. It was something about skinny cows eating fat cows and big chunks of wheat being eaten by small chunks of wheat. Sounds pretty weird. I personally thought he just ate something spicy, but that's just me. But then Pharaoh's chief gut bearer finally remembered me after two years. And he told Pharaoh that I could interpret dreams. By that time, Pharaoh was panicking and he was desperate for answers. They'd try anything. And so they cleaned me up and brought me to see him. And the rest of that day was a whirlwind. To say the least. Now, before I said anything else to Pharaoh, I made one thing very clear that if I could interpret his dreams, God was the one who would give him the answer, not me. I was just a messenger. And God had gotten me that far. I wasn't about to abandon him then. So I heard the dreams, and God gave me the interpretation. The meaning of the dream was actually pretty simple. There would be seven years of bountiful crops, followed by seven years of famine. So I suggested to Pharaoh that he appoint someone to oversee a new plan to store up food during the next seven years to prepare for the famine after that. Take some of the good food from the surplus, store it up, that way you have it when you need it. And guess what? Pharaoh picked me to be in charge of that plan. I think that even Pharaoh could see that God was with me. So in one day, I went from former slave, wrongly accused rapist, and forgotten jailbird to second-in-command in the greatest empire our world has ever known. I kid you not, nothing happened in Egypt without my approval. That's how powerful I was. So I guess you could describe my position as prime minister. I got to wear Pharaoh's royal ring. They gave me new clothes and a gold chain. I got to ride in a chariot, and people bowed down to me. I wish my brothers would have bowed down to me, but that was pretty nice too. I got lodging. I got servants of my own. I got the best food from Pharaoh's royal menu. Pharaoh even gave me a new Egyptian wife and a new name. I was on top of the world. I was only 30 years old with my whole life ahead of me. All my suffering was behind me, at least I hoped. I had two sons of my own, and I began to forget all about my no-good, two-timing, backstabbing. Sorry. Sometimes I still get a little bit heated when I think about them my brothers, but under my leadership, the whole nation stored up food and prepared for the famine. But then when the famine started, my past came roaring back. You know, it was a pretty normal day. Nothing new, walking like an Egyptian, doing the things Egyptians do, and a group of Hebrew men came to get some food, and they were ten brothers. I recognized those brothers right away, but they didn't recognize me. Dad had sent them from Canaan to get food because they were hungry. They left Benjamin, my youngest brother at home. I assumed it was because from my experience, people named Benjamin are just generally annoying. (laughs) But when I asked my brothers if they had any more brothers, they admitted that they did have one more brother in addition to Benjamin. But they had forgotten, or didn't know, or denied, knowing what had happened to him. And I couldn't help but be amused that they were looking right at that long-lost brother and didn't even know it. So I threw them all in jail, accused them of being spies. I did this partly for my own satisfaction, maybe just a little bit, but mostly so that I could come up with a plan. This was an overwhelming day. So I took a couple days and came up with a simple plan. I told them to go home and bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, back to me. I needed to buy some time, but I also wanted to see Benjamin. He was the only brother I had from my mother, Rachel. So in the meantime, I kept one of my brothers in prison here in Egypt, Simeon just to make sure that they would actually come back. I didn't think they'd abandon him the way they abandoned me so many years earlier. But I do have to admit, at one point in my plan, I almost blew my cover. I heard Reuben talking about how they shouldn't have wronged me when we were younger, how God was punishing them for my blood. And when they talked about it, they actually seemed Remorseful. It brought tears to my eyes. And it took them a while, but they did eventually come back with Benjamin. And that's when I went to the next phase of the plan. We had a meal together. They were clearly surprised by my hospitality. Typically, Egyptians like me don't eat with Hebrews like them. They were also a little bit surprised that I knew how old they were and how young they were in order. They thought it was just a coincidence. It wasn't. But then I asked about our, I mean their, dad. And I was relieved to hear that he was still alive. But then as we were sitting there eating, I looked at Benjamin. And I realized that I hadn't seen him in over 20 years. And yet again, I had to hide my face so they wouldn't see me crying. But now that I had seen Benjamin... And heard that my dad was still alive. I wanted to see him too. So I sent them home again to Canaan. But this time I found a way to keep Benjamin in Egypt. I framed him of stealing from my palace one of my silver cups. I thought that if I kept Benjamin and sent the rest of them home, then my dad would have no choice but to come back to Egypt with them. But then Judah, yeah, that Judah, the one whose idea it was to sell me into slavery in the first place. And if you want to read more about Judah, it's in there. Well, I heard Judah start talking about how my dad could never make it here alive. He said that if Benjamin didn't come home, my dad would die of a broken heart before I could ever see him. He had already lost one son, and he couldn't bear the thought of losing another. And when Judah said that, that's when my plan broke down. I just couldn't keep up the act anymore. So I told them who I was, and I cried like a baby. And it took them a minute to believe it. But when they did, you should have seen their faces. Now at first, they thought I was going to kill them. And was there a tiny part of me that wanted to? Maybe. But we reconciled. And I told them that In the big scheme of things, they didn't send me here. God did. And if he hadn't sent me here, that famine would have wiped out our whole region. And our family would have never survived. All my short-term suffering was orchestrated by God for our family's long-term good. The whole time, God was keeping his promise to our great-grandfather Abraham. My brothers and I were just tools in his hands. So I told Pharaoh what had happened, and he welcomed my family with open arms. He even gave them a sweet gig, caring for his livestock in Goshen, some of the best land in Egypt. And after some planning, my dad came to Egypt too, along with the rest of the family, most of whom I had never even met. By the time it was all said and done, there must have been at least 80 of us in Egypt. And those were the best years of my life. Our family was all together. We reconciled with each other and forgave each other of our sins. We flourished there in Egypt, even throughout the rest of the famine. My reputation continued to grow, and I helped Pharaoh become even more powerful. Some people criticized my plan, saying that Pharaoh was gaining too much power, but I guess only time will tell whether or not that's true. My dad adopted my two Egyptian sons to be part of his family, but he chose to bless the younger Ephraim over the older Manasseh. I don't know why that's such a thing in our family. But then when my dad died, he blessed me and my brothers as well. And I still remember what he said to me. These words echo in my ears, even today. My dad said, Joseph is a fruitful bough a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yeah, Dad, they did. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with Blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. My dad said one more thing before he died. He had one big request left. He specifically asked that we not bury him in Egypt, but that we bury him in Canaan. You know, Egypt was great for a season. Dad was glad that God brought us there. I don't want to make my dad sound ungrateful, but it wasn't home. It wasn't the land that God had promised to our family so long ago. And you know, the older I get, the more I agree with my dad. I might like to be buried in Canaan as well. So we honored his request. He had a funeral fit for Pharaoh himself, but then we buried him in Canaan. And after Dad died, things were a little bit weird between me and my brothers, especially at first. They thought that with him out of the picture, I'd finally get my revenge. After all these years, they still felt guilty for what they had done for me. And they still could not grasp the thought that I would actually forgive them. But then I told them that, you know, revenge is not my place. I'm not God. And on top of that, I reminded them of what I told them so long ago when they first realized that I was Joseph. I told them that God is the one who sent me here. And I really believe that. At the time, they meant it for evil. But all along, God meant it for good. And I still believe that if not for God using me and using them, even though what they did was horrible, our whole family would have died of starvation. And the promise that God made to our great-grandfather Abraham would have died right along with us. I still believe that today. So there you go. That's my story. The day I revealed my identity to my brothers was almost 70 years ago. And as my life comes to an end, I often find myself thinking about all the things that God has taught me over the years. And there are a few things that always come to mind. You know, from the time I turned 17 to the time I was 30, God called me to suffer. Was it fun? No. Did I think I deserved it? No. Did I understand it at the time? Definitely not. But I've learned that he was with me every step of the way. And while it was hard, and while I wasn't always sure whether or not I'd make it, I look at those 13 years differently now. And I'm honored that God chose to use me for his purposes. It's been a privilege to serve as a tool in his hands, even if so much of the time it caused me great pain. So I suppose I'd encourage you to know that just because you're suffering doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, he might be using you more now in your suffering than he ever has before. But then my life has also taught me much about the sovereignty of God, the power of God. All of those events in my life, Being sold into slavery, my wife at Potiphar's house, my prison sentence, I thought they were just bad breaks or poor luck or coincidences. But in reality, God was pulling the strings the whole time. He's the one who put me in all the right places at all the right times to be used for his people's good and his glory. So I'd encourage you to never doubt the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God. Take it from me. At any given moment, no matter where you are, what you're doing, or how significant or insignificant that moment may feel to you, God just might be using you for a very specific purpose, even when you can't see it. He's the one in charge. You're called to believe in him. Trust him and obey him through it all. And even when that requires suffering on your part, trust me, he will not let you down in the end. And you know, even the people who wronged me, my brothers, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar himself, they all meant evil toward me. But I know that God meant it for good. So God isn't just using you, At any given moment. He might be using those around you too. Even those people who wish you evil. Now I should probably get going now. But I won't lie. I'd be curious to read more from this little book of yours. I know that my God has done great things in the past. He created us in his image. He promised us redemption from sin when our parents sinned in the Garden of Eden. He sent a flood to judge the world. He confused the languages at Babel. He called my great-grandfather Abraham, my grandfather Isaac, and my father Jacob. And as I think back on my family's history, it's amazing to see how God has worked through the seemingly most bizarre, confusing, unbelievable, and even wicked people, and even wicked circumstances to care for, deliver, And use sinners like me. And I think he might be able to do the same thing with sinners like you. He's been so kind, so gracious, and so faithful to my family. Now again, I don't know the future. I haven't read the rest of this book. But based on the track record that I have seen... I feel pretty confident that God will continue to display his kindness, his grace, his faithfulness, his power, his wisdom in massive ways. And maybe this is just a hunch. But I wouldn't be surprised if someday God called someone even more righteous than me to suffer even more than me. All so that sinners like us can be redeemed. Maybe you know something that I don't know. But only time will tell.